Welcome along to Crimson Gears, Season 1, Episode 7, Part 2. This is the second part of my conversation with Andrew Nesbitt after the tremendous success of Part 1. I'm sure you're looking forward to Part 2. In this episode, we discuss his recovery from the horrific injury that he sustained and from the terrible, in his own opinion, 97 season as he struggled to get back to full fitness. And then in 1998, have a new co-driver on board, the one and only James O'Brien, and the change in fortunes that that entailed. Then we will then go on to discuss uh, 2000, Donegal, reset passes, time in every stage. And then 2002, a year of domination. Enjoy. Um, I think, you know, I've been out watching stages yesterday and again this morning, and. You know, Andrew has got the very best technology, there's no doubt about that. Fair play to the guy, he's also making the very best use of it. He's driving the car in the middle of the road and, and there's just no way these guys are going to stay in touch with him. Well, the rally's only half over, as you know, and uh, for me it's very hard to keep the concentration. Uh, I think the only thing is to continue maximum attack. So we're not uh, going to see a half effort, we're going to see a full effort? Yeah, absolutely. His commitment on this stage has never been in question, despite the fact that he's perished on it in the past. Now in these conditions, on these tyres, his commitment is even more impressive, and he takes a staggering 24 seconds off Eugene. He's 26, comes way back, come back, come back, come back, before the wall keeps coming back, comes back, come back. Here, Ben Junction, right 26, left 26. Wind up 26, left 26. 26, square left 24, double square right 24, tightens down, hell easy Andrew, easy, easy. Bertie Fisher and Andrew Nesbitt have made the 1999 event a classic, as we have already said. Never has so much been provided for so many by so few. Welcome along to Crunching Gears, the second part of our interview with Andrew Nesbitt. And the first part with Andrew we spoke about is him getting involved in the sport. Uh, his initial forays, then his tug of war career, then come back and competing in a March Westward, moved on to Manta, the M3, and then into the Metros. And then we, we spoke then about getting the Salika and taking that first one in Donegal. And that was followed then, unfortunately, very shortly after that by a huge road accident. And that's where we left it, that Andrew was in the Alton Hospital. Andrew. Welcome again to Crunching Gears, the podcast. Thank you very much, Kevin, for having me on again. No problem, a pleasure. Uh, so the last time we spoke, uh, you just uh, arrived in Altgeven Hospital. You had a major operation, and were you, uh, how did that go for you? Were you were you had to stay in hospital for a long time at that time? Or? But I must take you back to the, the the night after the injury, after my operation. Um. Everyone had gone home. It was 10 o'clock at night and the nurse called around to me and I wasn't sleeping at the time. She says, Andrew, there, the, there's a doctor here outside wants to meet with you. I says, at this time of the night? He says, yes. And uh, he's, he's asked to come in to, to see you, to see his patient. And um, he said, okay, if he calls in to see you. I said, absolutely, come ahead. The door opens. And here's this person in a white coat and a clipboard. And he turned around to the nurse and said, 
Nurse, thank you very much. I'll be calling upon you within 20 minutes. He turns around to me and he said, Nesbitt, how are you? It was John Lyons. The only way he could get in to see me was by bluffing his way in. Now, it wouldn't be like John, but he put the white coat on and he had the clipboard as if he was doctor uh, of, of my uh, uh, problem on that moment in time. And that was how he got in to see me. He says, how are you? I says, John, I'm good. am I glad to see you? Because it was the first time I'd seen someone from the outside world, yeah. uh, you know, 36 hours later. It was great to see him. And he, he gave me such a, a laugh to have got in to see me, first of all, but with the white coat and the clipboard. And to this day, I call him Dr. Lyons. <laughs> uh, it was so funny. And that's John for you. Yeah. Like, there was nothing, the energy of the man, there was nothing would stop him from getting in to see me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. I was so well looked after by, you know, the Lyons family and Tony Kelly and Anne and Kieran Lark and all of the team mm-hmm. in Donegal. But at the same time, the following night, the door opens again, this time at about half seven. And who is it? Only Cahill Curley. And he had a television with him. He had a big 25-inch television <laughs> and Connor, his son, coming in. Well, how are you, Andrew? He says, I'm great. He says, well, look at You'll be needing a television to watch the Donegal rally. He says, it's on tonight on RPM. And he says, we just thought we'd get it in here for you because you'll have great fun watching yourself doing the rally. And that's what happened. Here I am in Alton Galvin, knowing no one, and all of a sudden, all the rally fraternity started arriving. It was amazing and fantastic. And you know what? That The time I spent there was really shortened by the friendship I had coming to visit me mm-hmm. from all my Donegal friends and Cahill Curley and John Lyons and the whole team. Yeah. It was just amazing. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I was there for 10 days and I, I remember clearly coming out of the hospital with my two sons, Graham and Matthew and Linda, and they said, Andrew, is there anything you would like to do today? This is your first day out of hospital. I said, you know what? I would love to go and get a cup of tea and a bacon sandwich. And we went off into the city to, to a lovely little restaurant. But beside the restaurant, there was an art gallery. Uh-huh. Well, it wasn't so much an art gallery, but it was a place that supplied art material. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to be able to use my right hand to do very much for a while here. I'm going to have to teach my left hand how to write. Why don't I start with an art brush? I don't know where it came out of. Uh-huh. And I, I went in and we bought a set of uh, art brushes and paints and watercolors and how to learn to be an artist. Right, yeah. Some people say I was probably an artist before that. <laughs> but I, and, and this... And you know what? That was the that was the start of the recovery process in my mind, uh-huh. because I knew I'd never signed a check before with my left hand. Uh-huh. I'd never written before with my left hand. I knew my hand, my right hand was not going to work for a long time, uh-huh. and I immediately started the day I walked out of Alt McAlvin by buying the the utensils to be 
an artist, yeah. for the want of a better word. Uh-huh. And you know what? It, it was a fantastic idea because it operated a part of my brain I never knew I had. I never realized that I could actually paint anything. I, I love colors. I love the whole countryside. And I started to learn how to write with my left hand mm-hmm. through art. Yeah. And I tried to, to you know, paint the sea, yeah. paint a tree, paint the sun in the sky and the clouds. The clouds are the most difficult and the waves of the sea. Yeah. But I was trying to do this with my left hand. And I actually have to this day all of that um, artwork that I mm-hmm. use to try and learn to get my left hand working. So we went back to the mobile home in Donegal, in Dun, just in Marble Hill actually, okay. um, outside Dunfanaghy, and I spent probably the next three weeks, and every day it was about learning how to use my hand. Manipulate to your right hand. Mm-hmm. And at the time, through my business, I was always signing checks. Yeah. I couldn't write my name. And before the three weeks was up, I was using my left hand to write my name. But more importantly, uh, I was painting pictures of the Donegal headlands. And I remember someone giving me, a neighbor actually, uh, back in Armagh, giving me a rose. And it was called the Champion Rose. And I remember painting that as best I could. Mm-hmm. The detail in it was, was amazing. And that was, that was the start of the recovery program. For obviously it was going to be a journey yeah. but that that was the start of it and but by the way back in Donegal back at the mobile home mm-hmm. uh, that's where the journey of recovery started and by the way it was a tough and long session oh I can imagine yeah couldn't have been fun then so you were determined then to get back behind the wheel of a rally car um like so 97 rolled around and you were determined you were you were in Galway for the for the start of the rally well, I, I remember saying to Sean Simpson, Sean, you know, I, I know I won't make a Cork rally, but do you think will I make Galway? And he said, Andrew, that's up to you. But what I didn't realize, the injury that I had was so difficult and no one told me how bad it was. And I knew I had to go through an intensive um, treatment with physios and doctors and and what have you. And fortunately for me, Linda, my wife, was a physiotherapist specialised in sports injuries at the time. And we had to go through a whole difficult period of trying to teach the hand, first of all, to operate, never mind squeeze on anything. And that took the first three to four months was so difficult. I couldn't hold a brush shaft. I couldn't turn a brush shaft. I couldn't do anything with my right hand. And day by day, slowly, slowly, we got the brush shaft turning. And what I would do is I would get enough strength into my right hand and the left hand would would prize against it. So I had physio at home twice a day for the rest of the year. And I can tell you the pain and the threshold of the pain, it was serious, but I had to go through. And I knew that without getting my right hand up to the same strength as my left hand, I could never win a rally. 
mm-hmm. again and it was said to me, you know, Nesbitt will never win a rally again. Mm-hmm. And I only had won one international and I remember it being said to me in Killarney uh, that he would never win an international again. However, I went, the journey started and that's when the, the training started as well. And I knew that if I could get back to the same strengths that I used to have in tug of war, um, that I could maybe get back behind the wheel again. So we worked really hard. We focused on that. And between July, August time and come September, I realized I wasn't getting anywhere with this. And that's when I decided I'd head to the sports center here in Armagh. I went to the gym and to the squash court. And I remember buying two rackets, not one, but two. And I, would, I used to go in and compete against myself. Now, at that point, the left hand was beating the right hand. Right. And, 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 and through that process, I learned to get both sides of my brain operating left to right, right to left. And for the left hand drive rally car, it, it worked out a treat because I didn't have the strength to drive it with my right hand. Oh, yeah. The fact it was left hand, it was much easier. But to change the gears, and pull the handbrake if you needed it, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it at all. Right. So I got into a few handlings because of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I guess that would be your, like, if you're going down the gears, trying to get slowed up for a junction, pull the handbrake to get, you know, pull yourself out of trouble or underneath things. It's obviously a struggle then. It was a struggle. I couldn't, mm-hmm. when, when I got into the car, I actually lifted my right hand onto the gear stick. Right. And, and got, just got it squeezed around the top of the, the gear stick and it stayed there. And if you look at any of my car, in-car footage in 97, you never seen my right hand coming off the gear stick. And I, I could never get it to the, to the handbrake. As a result, um, I headed off to Galway. We, we worked really hard. We got the car ready and we headed off to Galway in 97, February, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, we were leading the rally straight out of the block. We were in great shape. And we were coming up to, I think, the last stage of the rally. And Austin McHale and I were having the ding-dong bottle. He was in second place. I was in first. And I remember coming down this big straight. And I, I went to change the gears down and my hand wouldn't, didn't have the strength. It was towards the end of the stage. I knew I didn't have the strength in my body, never mind my arm and hand, okay. to change gears. And as I was changing down, I missed the gear. I had to stand in the brakes. I had some silage effluent and the car took off. And as you all know, yeah. I hit the stone hedge and just buried the car into it. Uh-huh. And that was rally over. And Os McHale drove past me on the left-hand side and mm-hmm. finished the rally by winning it. And I, I think I was leading it by one and a half minutes at the time. Right, yeah. <laughs> so 97 became a very historic year for Andrew Nesbitt. Mm-hmm. Not only for Andrew Nesbitt, but for the rally team itself. Mm-hmm. I was starting to build a team of people around me, but I and only I knew how weak my arm was. And I, I, I could never tell anyone because I really shouldn't have been rallying. Right, yeah. But it was part of the process to get back. And I had met the previous couple of years, Jimmy Matthews, and Neville Matthews from Brinesford Coachworks in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. 
and county down and he says Andrew look at any time you hit the car a little tip he says I'll fix it for you and that'll be part of my sponsorship right so Brankford Coachworks did not realize what they were letting themselves <laughs> into they had no idea because previously as you know um, I was doing Lorgan Park in the car after I had got it mm-hmm. and Brian Murphy and I went off and hit a tree lovely and the back spring and wheel flew out of it Mm-hmm. And that that was the start of Brentsworth Coachworks repairing that car, but '96 was a complete nightmare for them because '97, yeah, '97. '97, sorry, we had that car. Every rally, the car finished up in the garage, in trouble, bent in some shape or form. So, yeah, Galway, we were leading it. We crashed. We then proceeded to the Circuit of Ireland. It was an icy morning and. In 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 the uh, in the Celica, mm-hmm. the World Rally car, there was this lever, and if you reached down, and you could you could soften the suspension. It was a very frosty morning, yeah. and I thought, look, if I reach down here and adjust the suspension, it'll get into the soft mode to try and handle the icy conditions. And I just forgot that my I didn't have the power in my hand to do it. Right. I actually got the lever moved, but I couldn't mm-hmm. get my hand back onto the gear stick. And we went straight into a, a farmyard fence. Uh-huh. The pole, the, the the wooden post came straight through the window. We might as well have been taken out. Yeah. And it that was it, rally over again. Uh-huh. And we were we were in the top three, yeah. straight out of the blocks. So that was rally number two down. Uh-huh. So what do we do next? Uh-huh. Cars back to yeah. back to back to Bradford Coachworks to get fixed again. Uh-huh. Ready for the Donegal International? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Next up with Donegal, then. Yep. Yeah. Donegal. So uh, here we go again. You want we're to back defend your title? <laughs> defend my title exactly, and we were defended very well until we came to Atlantic Drive, and, and the power again was leaving my arm and my hand, mm-hmm. and I remember coming up to this bumpy section of the road, I and. All of a sudden, the car bounced left to right, right to left, left to right. And before I knew it, we were over the fence and straight into the field. Mm-hmm. Not much damage, but a few punctures. And my my navigator said, you, you know, he was giving out to me, you're going to have to stop this crashing. And I said, look, just get out and get that puncture, you know, get the wheel out of the back of the car. Thinking I had one flat wheel, I actually had three. But history will tell you that I run up the road, cross the road and into a farmer's yard and I wrapped the door, there was no one there and I was looking, there was a tractor there and I knew if I could get the tractor in a rope, I could get pulled out uh-huh. and get going again. Yeah. Well, there was no keys of the tractor, so like the bicycle, <laughs> I, I borrowed the tractor, I got a screwdriver and I jump-started the tractor. <laughs> starter in good old South Armagh fashion. We, we got the tractor going and um, eventually get, sorry, got the tractor going mm-hmm. and I thought I was in first gear and I wasn't, I was in reverse and I drove straight across this lady's clothesline. All her bedding, all her <laughs> underwear, all everything that, everything that you can think of was on that clothesline yeah. and I drove the tractor straight over the top of it and and 
I could see these boys on top of the hill recording everything. It was only later that I realized the lads that were on top of the hill were the sons of the owner of the house and the mother of the house. <laughs> and, and the video footage would say, that boy's stealing our tractor. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was only afterwards that we realized what was going on. But anyway, we got the tractor over the road, got the car pulled out, and we finished the stage. But we were o over time. Yeah. And we had to pull out of the third rally, uh -huh. as you know. Yeah. So we were having a rough ride in 97. Mm -hmm. But we were, we were determined to, you know, get going again. So once again, the car was back to Bragsford Coachworks and uh -huh. repaired in time for the Ulster rallies, you know. Yeah. Oh, and then you had a change of co-driver for the Ulster. Uh, Donegal man, Rory Kennedy stepped in. Uh, yeah, I was running out of navigators because they were particularly, you know, that guy. He, yeah, it was great. Uh -huh. It was Rory Kennedy's opportunity to sit with Andrew Nesbitt. And it was Andrew <laughs> Nesbitt's opportunity to have the very famous Rory Kennedy sitting on board. Yes. Who had sat with the most famous rally drivers ever to grace Ireland. And Rory thought, well, look, at, it'll be great to have a spin with Andrew in his World Rally car, mm -hmm. the Toyota. Not, I think. <laughs> we, we, we started the Ulster Rally. We were absolutely flying. We got through a few stages. And Rory says, Andrew, you're going to have to slow down. <laughs> Rory, I'm not here to slow down. I am, this is the pace that I drive at. <laughs> we, were, we were coming through this stage anyway. And... Because of my hearing problem, I, I didn't pick Rory's note up properly. And he was telling me to, you know, drop down a couple of gears. Instead, didn't I go for sixth gear? And I was doing about 125 mile an hour and building speed. And the corner just went square right. And we lift on top of a crest and we lifted into the air about 12 feet. And we were flying through the air and there was a tree. I go on, oh, please, let's miss the tree. But didn't the back quarter panel hit it on the way through and it spun the car through 360 degrees about seven times. And we landed about probably 150 metres down in the field, big rushy field. And Rory, and Rory was shouting <laughs> as we were going through the air. And we landed and I said, are you all right? He says, yeah, I, I get out. I said, don't move. And I put my hand on his chest. I said, don't move. And I put the car in first gear. <laughs> and back up the field anyway to where we were trying to find a gate. And there, there was a gate uh -huh. right in front of us. And Rory was going to open the gate. And uh, as I said to you there, I put my hand on his chest. I said, don't move. And we hit the gate, such a thump, because I knew whatever damage we did coming into the field, yeah. we weren't going to do that much damage going out, putting yeah. the gate out. The damage was done. Didn't the gate get stuck in the bumper and we lifted clean off the posts and landed in the middle of the road. And we turned left and finished the stage and finished the rally. And yeho, didn't we finish third overall? Uh -huh. now, if we had to been in the field, we might have finished first. <laughs> but nonetheless, I was the happiest man in Ireland that year to have finished the rally and got onto the podium again. Yeah. And so thanks to Rory Kennedy for being so brave. First of all, to sit on, and secondly, to um, 
put up with the, the pace that we were at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 98 was coming and you were in the hunt for a new navigator. And uh, you finally settled on James O'Brien. Um, how did James come about getting the seat there? Well, that is such a good question. I had actually trouble getting navigators then. Right. Because when the famous Rory Kennedy decided that he wasn't going to sit with me and all of the others that had sat with me before, none of them wanted to get back in the car. And I can understand why. The record wasn't good mm -hmm. for 97. So I phoned Brian Murphy up one night and I said, Brian, look at, I know you're sitting with Austin McHale, but is there anyone out there that you would consider to be good enough to take the role on, take the mantle on to, to um, try and sit with me? And he said, Andrew, there's only one man I can think of, and that's James O'Brien, mm -hmm. who, as you know, had been navigating for many, many drivers. At the time, he was just finished drive or navigating for Liam O'Callaghan. Yeah. And Liam was very, very quick around Killarney and Cork and that. So James was used to a bit of pace. So I phoned him up and I said, James, Andrew Nesbitt here. Um, oh, yes, Andrew. What, what, what would I be deserving your, 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 your presence on the telephone tonight for? <laughs> I said, James, I'm looking for a navigator. Would you ever know of anyone that would consider sitting on board? He says, well, I know of someone that would consider doing it, but you'd, you'd have to do as they say. Right. I'm going, oh, what would that mean? He says, I would consider taking up the role as navigator. If you could promise me that the first rally we do together, you do not try to be higher than fifth. And the second rally, not higher than fourth, to see how we get on. Mm-hmm. And at any time, if I see that we're, we're doing well, I will consider telling you to go a bit faster. I absolutely, I totally agree with you. And it was the best thing ever because I had to rebuild my confidence and to, to drive at a lesser pace was, the, was a huge success for me because then I knew how to pace myself. Mm -hmm. And off we went in 98. And if you look at the, the records and, and the information from that year, yeah. we were never in, out of the top four or five. Mm -hmm. And that was because James had the reins on me. And some, some stages he'd let me go a little bit faster. And then he'd pull me back and say, slow down. So when he said slow down, I slowed down. When he said speed up, I'd speed up. And, and that's the way it was until, you know, have a look at 98 there yourself. Yeah, uh -huh. I like Galway third, the circuit third, uh, Killarney third, you know, so it was very consistent, um, you know, and, uh, and amongst good companies, you know, you're still beating good guys and still close enough to the top top of the tree as well. So like, it was a very, very consistent start to the year, especially considering what you'd done the previous year, you know, so it was, um, and then back to Donegal once again then for 98. Um, well, so James, James is a winner. You know, mm -hmm. Make no mistake about that. But he was, he was going through the process of building my confidence up. And the fact that we finished in each of those rallies third mm -hmm. was, you know, when we started the rally, it was, no, I want you in the top five. 
Yeah. And then if someone dropped out, you were allowed to get into fourth position. Mm-hmm. And maybe someone else dropped out, you were, you know, you'd naturally get into third position. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't you were going to be third. Right. It'll happen naturally. Yeah. And and that's why how we got there. So when we when so three rallies in a row we were third. That mm-hmm. was that was a great confidence boost for, for me personally. But at the same time, we started building a very professional team around yeah. our, our whole organization. Mm-hmm. We, we, we started to have a, a team manager. Our weather notes were different. Our crews were different. There was a whole professional buildup of the team in that year. And I had uh, my secretary, my PA at the time, uh, for many years. Jacqueline McKittrick. All the paperwork had to be heavily organized in detail four weeks bef- before any race. Our team manager, Ian Hard. And he would then have a look at all of the paperwork and any changes that had to be made would be made. And it, was, it became a very professional setup. But coming to 98 then, we went to Donegal mm-hmm. and uh, we... James said to me, now, Andrew, I'm going to let the reins go a little bit today, see how we get on. But I want you to be in the top three, not the top five. And we started the pace quite quickly. Mm-hmm. We got through Friday. We went into Saturday. And as you can see from the time, we started to get a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And on the Saturday afternoon, he says, right, Andrew, we're going for it. And... That was him allowing me to 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 lift the pace yeah. to a level that he knew that we were we could probably play at. Mm-hmm. So our team manager at the time, Ian Hard, he had his work cut out for him. And with the weather notes, the service crew, the tire crew, everything became so professional. The only thing I had to do was drive. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, listen to my navigator. And if he told me to speed up. I speed it up. If he told me to slow down, I did. And we learned to get caution into our notes where the dangerous spots were. And okay. um, beforehand, where I had drove them a little bit more faster, I knew that I must pull back. And in every rally, there's always going to be five or six, seven places that will bite you. And if you can identify them earlier on in the rally, and get them recorded well in advance and get through them, there is no reason why you cannot finish the rally in a strong position mm-hmm. and, more importantly, win yeah. the rally. And uh, lo and behold, 96 came and the pace was lifted to a level that I'd never been at mm-hmm. before. Sorry, in 98. 98, yeah, 98, right, yeah. 98, I'd, I'd never been at before. And James controlled the ropes from there on. It mm-hmm. was fantastic. Yeah. And was yeah, well, that the year that we're back uh, in the sorry, it was not the year that Austin McHale decided to play mind games. What he told you in Sunday or in Saturday evening that the rally was yours, you were leading by nearly two minutes, and he was going to give uh, give you an easy time of it on Sunday. And then Sunday morning, he whispered in your ear, he was going to come at you. <laughs> but Austin, um, be, before that, Austin and I had I had sat with Austin as a navigator a number of years before that when Irish Rally was going through a difficult patch and we had to raise funds for the insurance at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I got to sit with Austin and I got to know him. 
But then when it came to the rally, he was a different character. He wanted right. to take you out. Uh-huh. So on the Sunday morning, Saturday night, he says, Andrew, I'm going to let you win the rally now because you're, you're, you know, you're in a good, strong position here. And I said, oh, thanks very much, Austin. And, you know, there's a lot of good guys around me. There was James Cullen. I think Bertie had slipped out. Right, Bertie had slipped off early in the Friday, and then James had retired the gearbox problems, I think, from the start. Yeah, so all of, the, mm-hmm. all, all of those guys were there, but uh, Austin, I thought, right, here we go. Thanks very much, Austin. Uh, I'll hold position, you hold position, and we, we'll do our best to get through this rally. Mm-hmm. Next morning, I'm, we're at the service area heading for Inishowan Peninsula and Malin Head and all of those wonderful stages. And Austin said to me, he says, Andrew, um, do you remember last night I told you I'd let you, you know, hold position and win the rally if you can finish it? He says, I've decided to go for you. I says, what? He says, I'm going to go for you. You're joking me. He says, yeah. What do you think I'm going to do? Sit back and let you win the rally? No, I'm going for you. Well, I could, I could see red. Mm-hmm. I says, you are joking me. And we put a line in the sand on the ground that day. And I said, Austin, you're going for me. We'll see who's going for who here. Yeah. And, you know, that was the psychology that was the game. That was the mind games that those boys were playing. Yeah. Billy Coleman was at it. Bertie Fisher was at it. Uh-huh. Cathal Curley was at it. Austin McHale. They were all at it. But uh-huh. I never was in that position before. Uh-huh. And I remember taking off the start line. And it, <laughs> you know, I think if you check the stage times, we, we beat them by 18 seconds. Right. Yeah. You I drove so up. hard. Yeah. And to his advantage, I was probably at 100%, not 98 or 99, as I spoke about before. Uh-huh. And if I had been at 101, I was off the road. <laughs> yeah. I remember the car going across the Inishowan Peninsula, and she was jumping from one wheel to the other, landing on opposite sides. And uh, But anyway, thankfully, we got through it, and we, we, we won the rally. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know that. Uh... You see now, '98 then and the Salika, but for '99 you decided then, you know, as you were saying about taking the thing up, you know, more professional and one thing because when the France come on board, you moved then over to Subaru, Subaru Ireland, and then was also involved with that. Uh, was that um, was, was there much difference in the Subaru and the Toyota at that time? Well, look at the the cars were only getting faster and better. The technology in the Subaru. While the Toyota was very fast, the, the, the suspension technology wasn't up to the new technology that came out with Subaru. And that was the difference, how the cars would handle the bumps, particularly over this, the stages of Ireland. And so Bertie had moved to the Subaru. I had moved to the Subaru. And part of the deal was that I would have the same car. But what no one knows is... Bertie Fisher kindly offered me his sponsorship that year. Right. He was going to retire to focus on Mark's rallying career. And he said, Andrew, look, at, I'm going to organize Super Ireland to give you my deal, Pirelli Tires, same deal, and any other deals that were around his sponsorship. Right. And like, no one knows that. And he gave me all of that sponsorship over uh-huh. in a, 
in the silver plate. He says, Andrew, look, at, it's your time to take over the reins here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he and I then went to the circuit of Ireland with the biggest ding-dong mm-hmm. of between two competitors. There were many competitors in the yeah. field. But as you know, for all of those stages throughout the circuit of Ireland for four days, there was only ever four seconds between us. Yeah. He would take four, take two. Mm-hmm. I would take them back. And right up onto the last couple of stages of the circuit of Ireland, yeah. it was an amazing battle, an amazing fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly the biggest ding-dong I've ever been in. Yeah. Um, and, I, I, and I had never done a long circuit of Ireland until that mm-hmm. time. And uh, on the night stages coming back through Drogheda, my gearbox was giving a bit of trouble. And we had to go to Kenny McKinstry's house on the way back to Bangor to get the gearbox changed. And I remember them throwing it up on the side in the bale of hay. And the gearbox was changed, I think, in 18 minutes, something ridiculous. Yeah. And we, we got to the night stages back into Bangor. And the next morning, I picked up a puncture uh-huh. leading the circuit of Ireland. Yeah. And Bertie went on to win it. Yeah. But you still finished second. But what was the, the strength, the, the two years were at, that you were able to, you know, still limp through a stage with a puncture and still came second. Fabulous result too. Like and, and that will be one of those circuits of Ireland that will go down in history, you know, as one of them titanic battles. It, it was all of that. And the whole rally, particularly when we got into South Armagh on the way down, I knew the stages very well. When we got down to... Os McHale's territory around Wicklow Gap and that it was, you know, pretty much similar, mm-hmm. uh, similar times. And then on the way back in the night stages, Bertie took some time back out of me, but the gearbox went. Mm-hmm. I lost time, um, but we were still holding the lead uh, coming out of Bangor the next morning. But then I got the puncture, mm-hmm. and I finished second. And I, I remember Bertie's father saying to me at the finish ramp afterwards, he says, Andrew your time will come. Mm-hmm. Your pace was right up there all weekend, as, as was Bertie's. Mm-hmm. But we were only four seconds apart all weekend, mm-hmm. every stage. And that, you know, I remember Gary Gillespie from RPM saying, never was so much given by so few to so many. Yes, that's right. That, Those that's were his words. That, that, and that iconic. I, 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 I always remember that. Mm-hmm. And realizing, oh, maybe I was in that battle, and it was. It was, <laughs> it, it was a, a, a two horse race, and I shouldn't say that it was a four horse race. We had two navigators that were sitting yeah. on the edge of their seat the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what a rally! What a memory! Yeah, it was just unbelievable. And mm-hmm. that was um, Birdie's last international win. That's correct, yeah. Like a, a poignant you note know, to be involved in that battle, too, wasn't it, as well, you know. So. Uh, then you went on to Killarney that year, you finished fourth, back to Donegal again then to defend the title. Didn't go quite according to plan. <laughs> um, it was one of those crazy rallies that year really, wasn't it? That uh, you slid off the first or second stage, lost three minutes. But the comeback then was... Oh. <laughs> was yeah, I, 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 it, it, yeah, we were, we, we set off at a, at a serious pace. And we came down to T junction. And I remember the car just sliding in the loose gravel, and we got stuck in the side of the shock. Uh-huh. So call it in Donegal, and there I was stuck. And every car in the rally drove past me. <laughs> and I think when we eventually got out, we were 
last in the rally. We were at 134th place or something. But at that time, my whole mind and my whole setup was programmed to see how fast I could be against myself. And that's when the race really started. I started setting you know, stage times to compete against myself because I was so far back. Mm-hmm. How far up the order book could I get to, to the front drivers mm-hmm. at that time? It was James Cullen and all those guys that were there. And uh, I, I think we maybe got back up to third, third fourth place. Third, third, yeah. mm-hmm. like that's phenomenal. And we were, we, and so we, we really started the rally in 134th place. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, but no, 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 there was no damage, and, and you know what? It was part of the learning process. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. And then you, you round it out the year then in uh, Cork and you finished second there yourself in James. Uh, that was your first time out in one of the new uh, World Rally Cars, the Two Doors of Brews. So that was kind of setting the, the scene for moving into 2000. And what, yes, what well, the year that was, you know, like it started off. You know, not a great year for Irish rallying. There was there was no Galway, there was no circuit that year, and uh, Killarney then was the yeah Killarney was the first rally proper rally that year. Uh, you had one Mayo uh, with James again the the world car, and Killarney leading that from the ding dong battle with Stephen Finley in the focus, and then there was um, how would you say it a discrepancy with fuel was that right? <laughs> you run out of fuel? <laughs> yeah, well. There was many, many of things said. I, that time we, we had a, a fuel starvation, <laughs> which meant there was no fuel in the tank. <laughs> Look, at it, it happened. We were having a great race with Stephen Finley and all over the years, uh-huh. any time I'd ever raced against Stephen before, he was always faster. Yes. He was always the faster of the two drivers, as myself and him. Uh-huh. But this year, it was a tarmac special rally and all the Ford team had come over with Stephen Finlay and I was really, really looking forward to it and the pace was right up there and I think we were leading by 36, 37 seconds at the time mm-hmm. and going into the last, that stage, I remember saying to James, I said, James, the fuel gauge is reading low. He said, no, the guys were telling me that fuel gauge is faulty. Right. And I said, what about the second one? Well, he says, my goodness, that's not reading so well, is it? Mm-hmm. And, we realized we, we started that stage knowing right. that we only had seven liters of fuel. Okay. How far would it take us? And it, it took us actually within two miles of the finish line. Oh. And we could, we never made it. Heartbreak. Um, I, remember, I remember coming across this big jump through a dip and a second jump. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we landed, I could hear it going, Bruh. in other words, <laughs> yeah. I'm out of fuel. Oh. And we free will, we free will to a standstill. And uh, yeah, the rally was, I, I just watched Stephen Finley drive past to go on to win the rally. Mm-hmm. Great competitor, by the way. Yeah. It was going to be a serious race between the two of us to the finish line. Uh-huh. Unfortunately for me, myself and James, the car ran out of fuel. Mm-hmm. Is that heartbreaking then to take the likes of that? Or do you just, is it one of them things? No. Like, deal with it? <laughs> I, I, always, I always look at these things and say, at that point in time, it's it, it's happened for a reason, right? You know? yeah. it's happened for a reason, and the reason will always be 
you could have maybe done something worse or damaged uh-huh. uh, the car or, or ourselves. So no, I was okay with it. I remember hitting a, a drum of oil, a kick, and saying, right, on to the next one. The comeback then from the disappointment of Clarny was, was the summer rally. This was a, a, an event, a one-off event organised by Bertie because rally had been such a, a bad place in 2000. And they brought over the likes of Hannah McLeod, Stig Blomkins, and also the Cream of Irish Rally. Was it nice to be involved in that rally? It, it was absolutely fantastic because, as you know, coming from the, the Killarney episode of running out of petrol, for me, we still had a point to prove. We were leading the Killarney rally and uh, all the top Irish rally drivers were going to be attending the summit rally. And not only that, we had Hannah McLeod, we had Stig Blomkvist, and all the guys arrived and we didn't know, I didn't know how it was going to go because most of the stages were tar, but then there was two sections in, in it that were loose down through the quarry. And I remember, you know, I'm not a loose driver. I have never been on the loose. <clears throat> and I, I, I remember saying, okay, I can handle the tarmac section of this pretty well over the mountain, but what will it be like when I get down into the loose gritty stuff in behind the quarry? And, I remember coming down that hill and there was a, a loose section probably for a good quarter of a mile and there was only one way down it and that was as hard as you could go but you know for me I didn't know when to brake uh, coming towards the end of it and I remember standing the brakes in the car and this big s- slide and side was drift and I went right this is what loose rallying is all about. And <laughs> went on to there to, to Donegal and what can you say about Donegal 2000 that hasn't been said before? Well, Donegal, <laughs> it, it, once again, that was a good run in for, for the rally. But uh, the car that I had at the time was a two door Subaru. It was a fantastic car. And whatever was about it, it was so well balanced. You could do anything with it. You could just absolutely do anything with it. But you had to be sharp. And probably the best balanced car I ever had. Because I remember James saying to me, this thing just sticks to the tar like glue, doesn't it? And then when it got into the bumpy sections uh, across, you know, uh, the hills of Donegal, it took all the bumps at high speed, but always maintained a straight line through it. You know, some cars get very nervous at high speed. And, you know, going back to my, the days when I was driving the 6R4 metros, if you hit a bump on those cars, you were likely to finish on top of a fir tree, as I did. But this car could take the bumps at high speed. It was like a belly dancer. It would dance from one wheel to the other, but still maintained a straight line. And I remember the, the pro-drive engineer saying to me at the time, he says, it's not about the speed of this car. It's about the suspension and the reaction of how it will take bumps and kicks, and particularly around corners as well. And I didn't understand it until I really put it to the test. But, you know, history once again tells you 2000 was one of those mega rallies. And we, we, we really enjoyed Donegal. But believe you me, James had to sit very tight onto the end of his seat. And at this point in our lives as international rally drivers, James started to allow me to go providing at a speed providing I was never at a hundred percent and we did a lot of training 
and what I remember about 2000 particularly coming off the back of 97 with all those accidents into 98 and then on ahead to 2000 I remember committing to myself that I would go start training in 99 for a full championship because I had got Cuisine de France through Ronan McNamee as sponsors. They were my main sponsor on board. They were very heavily committed. We run a really professional team. We had the, the Subaru Ireland as well. They had, we had recce cars, weather note crews, service managers cars. It became a roadshow that had never really been seen in Ireland before. And Bertie Fisher was always the closest to that. He was such, he always had such a professional team. But while we had a professional team, the Cuisine de France label and management around that created an image that had never been there before of marketing, you know, and they, they used to give out their buns and their, their little, the food items at the time. And they had a great way of marketing t-shirts, pens, hats. It became a really different understanding for Irish motorsport. The people, the, the, the supporters of the drivers would actually come along and put as much money again into their marketeering. Yeah. And I remember Ronan McNamee saying to me, Andrew, you know what, every county we've gone to over the last 12 months with you, our sales increased between 20 and 25 to 30% but more importantly, continued staying at those levels. Yeah, I'd okay getting a one-day one wonder. But that was their way of marketing to the Irish uh, countryside and to the different counties that we raced in across all of the island. And don't forget, when you went to the likes of Donegal, there would be upwards of 125 to 130,000 spectators arrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a huge platform not only for Irish motorsport, but for any company that wants to market their business. And Donegal was no exception. And Cuisine de France were no exception. They, were, they went out of their way to do a great marketing job at the time. And I remember Jason Black from Letterkenny, he was in charge of the sales for Cuisine de France and the whole team around it at the time and he introduced the t-shirts the hats the umbrellas all the bits and pieces that would go along mm-hmm. and they were all freebies they were all given out but uh, a, a great marketing tool so mm-hmm. 2000 was the start of a real professional uh, mm-hmm. setup but not only that we i as a driver and james uh took a very strong interest in being fit to sit in the car and i for a whole 12 months was I would never take a drink before an event mm-hmm. nor after an event. Right. Yeah. I, I would, you know, it was a, a it was twelve months of pure training mm-hmm. and pure dedication to the sport and to the team, because when you have a team putting a lot of money behind you, particularly sponsors, you had Philip White Tires from Armagh. Philip had been my sponsor forever mm-hmm. uh, from from the day I started, and they put a huge effort into the the, the sport. And I remember saying, Philip used to call me buddy, buddy, buddy. He says, buddy, you're doing some job there. But it was the whole team. Yeah. From the, the whole paperwork trail, from the office to the management team we spoke about earlier, to the, the, the whole support mechanism, 
and everything around it brought it to another level of success. And for me, I felt if everyone's putting this commitment in, I must do the same. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we put a serious effort in 2000 to do that. And particularly in Donegal, yeah. and the history tells you we won every stage. Yeah. And that, the, was, yeah. that was really because we were mentally and physically very alert, very fit, mm-hmm. and everything worked. Yeah. And like, I don't know, as a legend has it, uh, that James wasn't telling you that you were fastest in every stage. It was only Sunday, a friend of yours said to you on Sunday afternoon that you were fastest in every stage. You, you were kind of taken aback by this. Well, well, James made the point that I think after the Friday evening, uh, he says, Andrew, now you're leading the rally and we want to just keep that pace. You seem to be comfortable at it. And I said, well, how are we doing? He says, you don't need to know. You just you know, get your rest, get up in the morning and we'll try and start Saturday off the same as we finish Friday. And I did that. And part of it was I would go and stay with my friend Kieran Larkin but James had him coaxed not to tell me about stage times or any of that. And that's the way it was. And so Saturday came and off we went into the very fast stages of Nakala, Atlantic Drive, High Glen, Low Glen, all those stages. I loved High Glen, Low Glen, particularly because whatever was about it, we were always fit to take anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds out of our next opposition in that stage and it was sort of a psychological blow for whoever you're competing against but there was another part to it all when we got into Milford I said to James how long have we got here he says we have a half an hour I says I'm away here to do something Uh, I told no one I run up to this lady's house and I dropped the door and I says, excuse me, uh, it was a lady called Mrs. Freel, Mr. and Mrs. Freel. And she said, oh, um, I'm just wondering, would it be possible to use your shower today? I'm, I'm in the rally and I'm quite sweaty and it's a very hot day in Donegal here. Would you ever mind if I could use your shower? I remember get absolutely, she said, come in and got me the towels out. I showered myself, got my rally suit back on and my fire, all the gear back on again. And I was a new man. I was absolutely a new man. I remember getting into the shower and it was, I turned the cold tap on because I had to just get myself back into control of what was a heated adrenaline rush. Yeah. And that shower turned out to be the best idea I ever had. And I remember coming back down to the rally car service area and Sammy Hamill, who had been reporting rallying through Irish motorsport for years and years and years, he says, Andrew, you look very chilled and relaxed. I said, you could say that, Sammy. You could say that. And he says, have you something to tell me? I just say, yeah, well, I'm I'm certainly chilled. And I left it at that. Uh But I didn't tell him for many years later. Yes. <laughs> I was under a cold shower for 15 minutes, uh-huh. 20 minutes. And uh, went back in and got into the car. And James says, where were you? I said, oh, I went and had a shower there. He says, was that where you were? 
everybody was wondering where you disappeared to. I said, okay, we're, we're good to go again. He says, yes, now. I said, right, what about the pace? He says, just keep the pace you're at. You're doing okay. You're doing all right. Mm-hmm. And he um, still never told me really where I was laying in the rally. So we got to the Saturday evening and I remember coming down through high glen, low glen, but coming over the mountain in the glen, there was a brand new fence put up and we used it as a marker. And I remember saying to myself, I think I can take this at 100%. Now, 100% was 132 mile an hour. And just before you get to the 132 mile an hour, the rev limiter would start kicking in. Well, that wasn't good because you, you then didn't have the, the power to power yourself around the corner. But I remember getting up to the rev limiter before the corner and just letting it back off ever so slightly. And we slid around that corner sideways. Now, that was okay. The traction from the Pirelli tires, who were also sponsors at the time, was amazing. Coming over the top of that hill, and I remember taking the marker from this brand new fence, saying, when I get to that post, there's another corner coming. There were two corners. Right, yeah. But if you're driving that in a normal road car, you think it was just a corner longer than normal. But there was two corners at speed. And I remember just getting the car straightened up to turn the wheel for the second one. So we went into the slide, probably at 128. And we come out of the slide at 132, going around the second corner. And straight down through that, down over the hill. And there's a dip at the bottom. And James says, back off, back off. He says, dip, watch the dip. And... I remember saying to myself, you know what, I think I can take this corner <laughs> in top gear. It's, it's like, it, it had been meant to even try it, but I did. Yeah. And I, I, but I had to stand on the brakes ever so slightly. And we went through this little kick on a left-hander. And then there was a right-hander and a left-hander. And normally you would take it at about maybe 80 mile hour. I think we went through it just over the 100. <laughs> It shouldn't have been done, it was. And that for me was probably one of the sections in that stage that you could make a lot of time up. Uh-huh. And then I learned that you could do it, once you could do it, once <laughs> you could do it twice. Uh-huh. Because I remember Rory Kendi coming to me <clears throat> after the rally was over, he says, Andrew, how or where did you make the time up in that stage? He says, just, it just baffles me. I said, well, probably from the start line to the finish line, or I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't tell him, could I? No. <laughs> so it, it 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 was very funny. It yeah. was extremely funny. Uh-huh. And 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 then you know you go over to the famous Nakala stage. What a stage! Like it is just mind blowing that the speed that you can take that whole um, stage at. I just love it. It's probably one of the best stages, if not the best stages I've ever rallied in the world. Uh-huh. Particularly when it goes over the top, as I call it. Uh-huh. Uh, there's the left-hander and right-hander at the top. and You had to be on the rev limiter to make time up on that stage. Right. And we were always fit to go for that crest on the rev limiter. 
and there was a left-hander and a right-hander, and if you could just get her sliding slightly to the left and sliding slightly to the right, you could straight line it. But it was a very delicate yeah. uh, hill, mountain, crest, whatever you want to call it. Remember, Bertie Fisher coming up to me after that stage and he says, Andrew, that is just frightening what I've seen you do on the, over the top of Macala there. Yeah. He says, what size are they? We can guess what he was talking <laughs> yeah, about. Uh, and uh, <laughs> not, for, not for repeating on radio. No. <laughs> I, I, I says, Bertie, no difference to the size of your own. <laughs> I says, if you were doing that stage, you'd have been doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it was very funny. So those are the memories. Those yeah. are the lovely little bits and pieces that you pick up over the years uh -huh. uh, from, from rallying. So moving on, 2010, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, we we went to we went on to Sunday. I went back to Kieran Larkins and yeah. I, you know went through the whole process of getting to bed early, getting up early, and I used to go for a run about half five in the morning. Get, get get everything operating and there was this little dog sheep dog used to come out and run up the road with me but this particular morning it disappeared and I always reckoned it was a good luck charm a good luck charm to have that dog yeah. on my heel because he used to be nipping at me uh -huh. and as I was running uh, but it was only playing with me but this on the Sunday morning it, it, it had been there on the Friday morning and there on Saturday morning and Sunday it disappeared hang on Oh my God, this, this is not good. Where's my dog? And he wasn't to be seen. And so I run on ahead up the road. I was coming back down and I was running slowly. Where's my dog? And couldn't, couldn't see it. And I was disappointed. And I remember all of a sudden, this thing grabbing the back of my leg again. <laughs> the dog had appeared. And I said, you wee skitter, you were, were you? <laughs> but... And the tail wagon, and I knew when I had that dog there, my, my good luck charm was with me for the day. Yeah. And it, it's, it was all psych, psychological. Uh -huh. You know, everything is psychological. Everything, anything you can have in your mind that will give you an advantage, you've got to use it. Yeah. But midday that day, we, we started off the rally. I said, James, what do we do today? He says, just more of the same, Andrew. The pace you're at is, is, is okay. Just keep doing it. And don't don't try to go any harder, but keep at that pace. So we kept at the pace anyway, and we came to midday. And there was two things happened to me that day I remember so well. Um, Kieran Larkin came to me at lunchtime, and he, he's smiling. He says, well, you're doing well, he says. I says, yeah, am I? I says, that, James won't tell me what, how I'm doing. Oh, he says, you're doing well, all right. He says, if you could just keep doing it for another three stages. I says, what do you mean? He says, you've won every rally, every stage of this rally to date. I says, no, I haven't. No, he says, you have. He says, you just need to keep going for another three stages. Yeah. And you know what? That put some pressure on me. Yeah. Hang on. It, it, it created a, a mind process for a little while that, oh, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'll back off then. But you know what? I got into the car and whatever was about it, I, I kept going. Well, the second point I wanted to tell you about was this gentleman came up to me in the service area. And 
he was looking at me and I knew he wanted to have a word with me. And I would always, you know, give people signatures and any little bits and pieces of cuisine de France had to give out or give to the kids. But this particular gentleman called me over. He says, Andrew, I want a little word with you. And I said, oh, Tommy, Tommy Keys. I used to stay with his wife a, and Tommy Keys, Brady and Tommy. Mm-hmm. And be, before, the years previous to that, I would stay with them. Uh, they were lovely people, still are lovely people. They were great to me and to James and to the whole family. They were beautiful, beautiful people and looked after so well. But what I used to do then was I, I'd take myself away and I would stay with Kieran Larkin in a private room because no one could get to me then. The radio couldn't get to me. I, I really never knew what was going on. Uh-huh. Tommy Keyes came over to me and he, he, he reached out his hand as if he was shaking my hand. And But there was something in his hand. And I'm going, he shook my hand. He says, Andrew, you need this. And I looked at it. And I said, Tommy, thank you very much. And I, I folded it up in, and I put it in my pocket. But before that, I got into the car and I read it. And it was a copy of a Padre Pierre's prayer. Right, yeah. To keep people safe. Uh-huh. And I have that to this day. Every day in life since that, I've had that in every rally car with me. Mm-hmm. It's and when it's not in the rally car with me, it's in my wallet, and it's with me here today. Yeah. I, I thought it was the nicest do. thing ever. Yeah. Pardon? That was such a lovely thing to do, wasn't it? You know, so. it it was such a lovely thing to do, and I think Tommy was making the point, Andrew, the pace that you're at here is, you know, so high mm-hmm. that you maybe need to have someone else with you today. Yeah, keep an eye on you. <laughs> and to look, up, to look over us and after us. And that, so I want to thank Tommy Keyes for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. It, it always has meant a lot to me and, and will always mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we got to the end of the rally and coming through the finish line, I, I remember saying to James, how are we doing? He says, I'll tell you in 30 seconds. I go, in 30 seconds? And he, he was watching his mirror yeah. and counting the time down and he was waiting for the next car to come. Uh-huh. And uh, it was Ian Greer. I can remember it well. And he was counting it down, counting it down, he counting it down. And the next thing, he, he had the stopwatch. He could see it coming through the finish line. Mm-hmm. I says, well, how are we doing? He says, I'll tell you, Andrew, if I've got this right, he says, we've beaten them in the last stage by one second, which means you've won every stage of the Donegal International Rally. <laughs> well done. I says, oh, James, stop talking rubbish. You're joking me. He says, do you not know what this means, Andrew? I says, no, I don't know what it means. What does it mean, James? It means it's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo and behold, we, we didn't jump up and down about it until it was official. But uh-huh. when it became official, yeah. we had quite a party afterwards, I can tell you. And to come back to the, the finish uh-huh. ramp once again, to be led in by the, the Donegal 
bands yeah. over the ramp was another special occasion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. What what a rally. And then as you know, we moved over to the Manx after that and uh-huh. work. Yeah, and two more victories then to and round it out the, the year and won the title and all. So it was it was a fantastic year. And then going into two thousand one. Two thousand one didn't start great for Irish rallying. We lost Bertie and Mark and Emma in a very tragic accident. Like Bertie had kind of handed the mantle over to you. Was this a very difficult time for you then? Well, coming on the back of all the highs that we had, you know, we we won the Donegal, we'd gone to the Manx Rally, mm-hmm. we actually raced against Mark Fisher in that Manx Rally. In fact, I know we won it, and. Mark was a very close second to us, mm-hmm. and he was in a Group N car. Yeah, what a talent! Yeah, what an amazing talent he was. Mm-hmm. And Gordon Noble, if I remember rightly, was sitting with him, and it, it, it was an amazing. Now, I could have got that wrong, it could have been Rory Kennedy, but either or, two mm-hmm. good navigators with him at different times. But he, he yeah. That was a great rally as well, uh, and I'm bringing you back there because Mark competed in that rally and was showing such a talent to be able to be that close to a world rally car, which I was driving, mm-hmm. just showed you the talent of the guy. An amazing driver, and he was set to be, he was world championship material yeah. and had been showing great light in Irish rallying and in the rounds they'd been doing in Britain and across Europe. And it was only a matter of time till he would have taken on, uh, you know, larger things. He, he would have been one of the guys that would have made it into the world rallying scene mm-hmm. as a world rally driver. And with Bertie Fisher, his dad, being behind the whole operation and knowing what to do, uh, there was no doubt about it. Yeah. If he had had a world rally car, uh, which I know he would have been driving the following year. Um, he would have been a very hard man to beat. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, he was an exceptional talent, wouldn't he? So. In fact, he, he could have very well won the Manx Trophy Rally that year because I remember James and I coming to this bridge and it was a humpback bridge and I didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't have the notes as accurate on it as they could have been. And we, we jumped the, the bridge and without fear of contradiction, the car went 15 feet into the air. <laughs> and as it was going up, I'm going, this is great going up. What's it going to come down like? It's going to be so early. And I, I, there's, there's photographs out there of us being so high in the air that you can see daylight and people and cars and everything <laughs> underneath the car. <laughs> and if that car had to land properly and correctly, Mark Fisher would have won that rally. <laughs> I, could, I can tell you now. And, and you know, dude, it, it's just the small things like that that you remember that could have yeah. taken you out of, of winning a rally. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and as you know, we went on to Cork that year. Uh-huh. I suppose part of the championship, we, we won there as well. Yeah. And we, we nearly didn't because we brushed the, uh, the exhaust pipe coming into the last stage. And I remember it, it was held on with a, a pair of vice grips and the flames were coming out of it and it was overheating the brake discs, the tire at the front and I going, coming down over the Cork Mountain on the rev limiter. You'll see it in RPM. 
And if these vice grips let go, we're in serious trouble here. <laughs> and that's that's all that was stopping. That was the only thing that was winning that rally for us was a pair yeah. of vice grips that were well put on yeah. by Chris Graydon from Pro Drive at the time. Okay. But that was that was that year over, and yeah. the championship won. And sadly, and, and now we need to speak about this, mm-hmm. how sad it was to to hear of the accident that uh, Bertie and Mark and Emma and all, all of those guys had that day. It was a very sad day for Irish rallying. Terrible. I, I remember clearly, I, I remember getting a phone call from uh, a very good friend of mine, Gene Megan, he says, Andrew, have you heard the news? And I'm saying, no, I haven't heard anything. Gene, what, what, what's happening? He says, there's been a real bad accident, um, helicopter accident, and uh, it's it's Bertie's machine, unfortunately, and we're coming back from uh, Ashford. It had been Gladys's birthday, from memory, and Roy was in the helicopter as well it was a very very sad time yeah. it it really i'll be very honest with you i probably was never going to rally after that okay it just felt such a loss for irish rallying mm-hmm. it was a, just a terrible time and how could things ever be the same again without mm-hmm. uh, bertie and mark and yeah. everyone that was involved in the fisher family mm-hmm. uh, I, I just I, I actually decided I'm not. I'm not going rallying again. That's yeah. me finished. Right. Because uh-huh. Bertie had been like a big part s- of Irish rallying for the last, you know, what 20, 20, 25 years probably at that stage. You know, so that was that was huge loss to everybody and, and his family obviously as well. So. Yeah, it was. It was really terrible to this day. Like uh, you know, all of us who knew Bertie well and the whole family and Mark. Uh, Emma, it, it was a huge loss, and yeah, we often have to take time to reflect on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I can say it was probably the the lowest low that we ever had mm-hmm. to that date. Yeah. So what then? What made you the change your mind? Then what made you go back rallying? Then? Well, that's very interesting. That is very interesting. There was a. There was a meeting of uh, a memorial meeting some time later after the accident, and a lot of people arrived to the Manor Park, the Manor Hotel in Inniskill. Oh, the Manor House, yeah. yeah. The Manor House, and we, we were all there for a service and a meeting following the accident a number of months later. And I remember Ivan Fisher coming to me after it. He says, Andrew, you need to get back into rallying. I said, no, Ivan, I'm finished. Um, I just don't have the heart to to take it on again. Mm-hmm. He says, you've got to listen to me. He says, and he, take, he took me for a walk. He says, Andrew, we, the Fisher family, we want you to get back rallying because Bertie wanted you to always to do well. And as I said before, Bertie had given me all the sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And I even said, Andrew, you've got to pick up the mantle here, and you've got to run with it. Uh, the sport needs 
to be kept going as best it can and needs people like you and all good drivers that were around at the time to get back in there and continue on. That's that's what we as a family would like and that's what Bertie would want for you. So I thought about it and I thought about it for the rest of that evening. And I remember, I, I was so restless about it, jumping on a plane the next morning and I, I, I got up early, five o'clock, drove to Belfast International, bought a ticket, got on a flight, told no one what I was doing and I landed at ProDrive's front door. Mm-hmm. And I remember going in and saying, Andrew Nesbitt here, can I meet Dave Richards if he's in? Oh, Mr. Richards is not in here at the moment. He'll be in at 11. Okay, well, I says, I'll be back at 11 then. He arrived. Andrew, what can I do for you? I says, I want you to give me the best car you have in your stable. Because following Bertie's accident, we need to keep Irish motorsport going. It's the wishes of the Fisher family for me to do so. And I want the best car you can get me here. He says, well, we've no cars available at the moment. I said, okay. Well, I'll leave you for one hour. I'll be back at 12. Oh, he says, you're not listening to me. We've no cars available. I said, no, you're not listening to me. I'll be back at 12. (laughs) See what you can do for me, if you don't mind. He says, leave it to one o'clock. And I arrive back at one. He says, Andrew, we think we can do something. But we're going to have to do it through uh, a company called 22 Motorsport. But what I do promise you is it's the best car that's out there, and I'll make sure that it has the best engine in it. That's all I can do for you. And we did a deal. We met with 22 Motorsport, which uh, were a fantastic team. Mm -hmm. And they had this lovely car sitting. It was yellow, all yellow. Mm -hmm. Hang on, I'm not driving a yellow car to Billy at all. My goodness. And you know, the man that owned it, Chris, he says to me, Andrew, but it, it, it's not the color of the car. It, it's the car. That's the best car there is mm-hmm. in the world right now. And if we put the right engine and chips into it, as Dave Richard has told us, uh, it's, it's a winning combination. I says, well, the only way I'm going to, how can I put a yellow car into a Cuisine de France colors, which were French, red, and white, and blue, uh, and he says, well, you could cover it with white material, but keep the inside yellow. And if you don't mind, we'll sponsor the, the back fin on it. Yeah. So there was always called the yellow fin, <laughs> the yellow two motorsport fin. Yes. So that was his sponsorship. <laughs> Thankfully, that was his sponsorship. And I said, well, what part of your sponsorship will that be? He says, we'll rebuild the engines whenever you need it. Okay. as part of the sponsorship. Well, I said, okay, well, in a year, that would normally be one a year. Well, did I get that wrong? It turned out that that engine was so fast and so quick, and James O'Brien will confirm this, that uh, that car needed a brand new engine every race. <laughs> it was just, it was the fastest thing I've ever, ever driven. Uh-huh. And as you know, yeah, with the circuit of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, 
uh, you can call the rallies out because you have a yeah. better memory of me. Yeah, Circuit Killarney, uh, well, Donegal only lasted two stages, but then Jim Clark, the Ulster, Cork again. You know, victories in every rally. Um, uh, the Manx was the only rally in the Termite Championship he didn't win, and you were second behind Mark Higgins in it, who was like, you know, in a league of his own, local man, had, wasn't going to be driving for championships or nothing like that. So, um, the, they said there were 118 stages in the Termite Championship that year, and you were faster than 78 of them, like 67% of hit rate on the stages is just phenomenal. I mustn't have been going fast enough in some of them. <laughs> 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 okay, well, we always tried to get to 70%, but 67 was okay. We'll take that as a, <laughs> yeah. a good average. Uh -huh. But don't forget, um, yeah, what a year, what a car. Uh -huh. And the 22 motorsport team, once again, followed up by Subaru Ireland and the late Neville Matthews from Subaru Ireland. He was a great uh, supporter of, of our team as well. Uh, for all of those years, they 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 were part of our team for seven years, as was Cuisine de France, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, that whole year was just fantastic. Uh, so I think that's a nice place to we'll wrap up episode two, uh, and here, and then we'll come back now in the next episode, and we'll look at the the next few years of your career. Does that suit you, okay, Andrew? That, that thank you very much. By the way, I hope everyone enjoys. Uh, what we're doing here because it's it's a, for me it's a walk down memory lane and I've no doubt we have a few more interesting tales to tell when you, you come along with your episode three lovely take care thank you kindly all the best that was myself and Andrew Nesbitt talking around once again in Crunching Gears if you enjoyed it, can you please like and share? And if you're listening listening now to podcast, can you please rate the podcast? It would be great, really appreciated. Part three will be going online next week. So until then, take care and goodbye.